It's Monday, the 7th of May, 2018. Welcome back to Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue, the first and only regularly updated podcast in the world dedicated entirely to autonomous cars. Today, new information on Uber's fatal accident in Arizona, Volvo's cars and trucks talk to one another, and MIT's autonomous cars don't need maps. All this, right now. But first... I learned a thing, and I have a favor to ask of you. So it turns out that in order to be featured on Apple's iTunes podcast's new and featured category, well, I need to get lots of reviews very, very quickly. So far, I've received 10 five-star ratings, which is obviously fantastic, and for which I am obviously very, very grateful indeed. But if I could just ask of you a favor, if you are continuing to listen to and enjoy this podcast could you please make the effort to just take a moment and tap the little five stars icon, uh, and especially to leave a review and obviously share it with your friends and colleagues. This will make a huge difference indeed. And again, it turns out that if enough of these start coming in quickly enough, well, there's a pretty good chance this podcast could get featured in the new and featured category of Apple's iTunes podcast, which is a really big deal. I'm reasonably confident we can achieve this because Well, if you do a search yourself, you'll see that there just aren't really any podcasts like this. I really do maintain that although there are other podcasts that now and then do talk about autonomous cars, I genuinely, sincerely haven't yet found a podcast that is rolling out two to three episodes per week, strictly and singularly focused on autonomous cars. So that's my huge uh, sort of favor to ask of all of you. So thank you so much. And without further ado, let's dive in and get started. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. So the Uber Volvo XC90 autonomous test vehicle, which crashed about seven weeks ago in Arizona, obviously the big question still on everyone's minds, how did this possibly happen? The latest rumors were that the LiDAR may have been blinded, or I should say blindsided. turns out that that particular vehicle had only one LiDAR sensor. We discussed this quite a bit in our previous episode. If you want greater detail, go ahead and have a listen real quick and come back. But the general idea is that most of these test vehicles, they tend to have two, three, even four different LiDAR sensors. Uh, This Uber Volvo XC90, the big SUV, had only one mounted on its roof. The theory is that, well, because it was just that one, there was a bit of a blind zone, a blind spot around the car immediately in the vicinity of the car. Now, obviously, if you think and you sort of follow where this logic is headed, you'll realize it isn't very plausible. The idea being that, well, because of this blind spot, the pedestrian coming out of the shadows across the street simply was not visible to the car. Well, yeah, that theory, I think it's already gone out the window a long time ago. And in any event, even if it didn't, well, there's new information now that suggests what may have occurred. Turns out, I mean, not really to anyone's surprise, although I suppose it could have been a hardware issue, turns out the most likely theory is that indeed there was a software issue. Now, whether it was a bug, it doesn't seem to be very clear, but rather it seems to have been, for lack of a better word, really more of a calibration issue. So here's what I mean. 
So imagine a car is driving down the road and it's got its LIDAR sensor and it's doing its thing, right? All these countless little beams of laser light are being emitted in 360 degrees around the car. And as a quick refresher course on how this works, each time the beam of laser is bounced back to the car, the sensor collects all these various bounced bits of laser light. Uh, Each individual point of light is put together to form a so-called 3D point cloud of the world around. It's essentially a 3D model uh, of the world, and this is how the car can see where it's going. The, the issue with LiDAR is, of course, one of calibration. How does the software understand whether an object in front of the car is a thing to be avoided? For example, uh, another car, a brick wall, a pedestrian, or whether it's something which you know through which it can pass harmlessly. For instance, a plastic bag blowing across the street, maybe some leaves, that sort of thing. Well, you can probably see where I'm going with this. The issue appears to be that for whatever reason, when the LiDAR detected the pedestrian in the shadows, it's not so much that it didn't see the pedestrian, which admittedly is a very sort of trivial use case for LiDAR, but rather that it did see the pedestrian, but for whatever reason, the software calibration suggested, you know what, hold on, this is not a pedestrian, no need to slam on the brakes, just keep on going. So obviously the question becomes, why was the software calibration so fatally flawed in this case? Well, here's my theory. Um... I, I think what probably happened is if we kind of picture the scenario, well, I mean, okay, yes, obviously at a high level, there's a calibration issue, that, that, that's clear. But the question is why and how in particular could it have been so wrong? How could the calibration have been so off this particular time, just this once, with a person and a bicycle? I mean, this is a fairly large sort of surface area. It's, it's very hard to believe the calibration would be so off as to misinterpret this as being something harmless, right? So obviously, I have no idea. My, my guess, my best guess as how this may have happened was something along the lines of, well, maybe there was something about the, the nature, the, rel- the reflectivity of the bicycle itself, and maybe the way in which it was sort of blocking or otherwise masking the pedestrian, maybe she was behind the bike, maybe somehow the bounced LiDAR laser was, for whatever reason, not sufficiently hitting the sensor. Maybe a lot of the bounced laser was being sort of scattered or otherwise uh, reflected in sort of opposite directions. I mean, if you think about the frame of a bicycle, it's each component of the frame is is pretty round, Right. And so I could sort of imagine that maybe a lot of these bounced laser points of light may have been bounced in completely opposite directions away from the sensor itself. Um, so, so where I guess I'm going with this is that I wonder whether, for whatever reason, that particular sort of optical configuration at that moment, that evening, a lot of the laser was being bounced away from the sensor. And so really what the sensor was picking up was just sort of small bits of reflected um, parts of the bicycle and the pedestrian. I'm thinking maybe the reflectors on the wheels, um, maybe the wheel frames themselves, um, maybe even parts of the pedestrian. But net-net, the combined total of the reflectivity was just so small or otherwise ambiguous that, tragically, the software interpreted it indeed as something really harmless. For example, a plastic bag or maybe some leaves blowing ac- across the road. That's my best guess as to how this could have happened. Again, assuming there wasn't any sort of 
bug in the software, but rather that we are indeed just talking about a calibration error, that's kind of my best guess as to what's going on. Now, obviously, this issue of calibration kind of raises a really big question with respect to so-called fringe cases, right? Corner cases, those kind of things that you wouldn't ordinarily expect to experience, but you must prepare for nevertheless. So one example that comes to mind is something like this. Um, I remember a story years ago as a kid. My dad had shared with me about uh, having been driving across the Golden Gate Bridge, um, just headed north out of San Francisco, and suddenly he sees, much to his shock, a a couch. Yeah, an entire couch just sitting there right in his lane and with no time to swerve to avoid it, at least not safely anyway, he apparently did the smart thing and just continued right through the couch. I think probably the assumption was that it's just made out of wood and it should splinter as soon as the car hit it. Well, turns out he did the right thing. And um, I think at some point he had mentioned this to a police officer who had also agreed, yeah, you did well to just go through it instead of trying to avoid it at the last second. Well, that's a really interesting thing, isn't it? Because obviously a couch is a really large thing. I'm willing to bet that if LiDAR had seen the couch, it would absolutely have slammed on the brakes or perhaps tried to swerve to avoid it. And that may have been more dangerous. So the question becomes, you know, if we go with the assumption that the smart and safe thing to do is always to go right through a couch in the middle of the road, well, then again, the question is, well, how is the software supposed to realize that something as large as a couch is potentially safe to collide with? Yeah, it's a very tricky question, but... uh, you know, at least now you know, next time you're driving along. And if you see a couch in the road, just go right through it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. So, V2V, of course, known as vehicle-to-vehicle communication. Uh, Well, as of now, it's also known as Volvo-to-Volvo communication. This, according to an article over at Autoblog, Volvo is now enabling its vehicles, specifically its cars and its trucks, to communicate with one another. So if this sounds at all familiar, it's because it should. We've spoken on this show in the past about vehicle-to-vehicle communication, the idea being that cars on the road will be connected through the cloud in an effort to be situationally aware of each other's presence. So even if their onboard sensors can't detect one another, say two cars arriving at an intersection, a blind intersection, well, if their sensors can't see each other, well, simply by virtue of being aware of each other's presence, well, they'll still be able to avoid each other. Um, and again, if this sounds familiar, it's because Mercedes started rolling this out with their 2017 E-Class. So with Volvo, um, they're rolling it out as follows. Um, it's a very iterative rollout, but it's a pretty clever one, I think. And I think it's a certainly it's a very useful, very practical use case. The idea is, well, it's called Volvo Cars Hazard Light Alert. I'm sure somebody is going inevitably to roll this into some ridiculous acronym, the VCHLA. Um, but in any event, here's how it works. Uh, if you've got a bunch of Volvos in the same, uh, sort of in the same geolocation, suppose one of them ends up turning its hazard lights on. Well, all the other Volvos in its immediate vicinity, they'll be notified that that car has indeed 
put on its hazard lights as well. This is a really useful thing because when you think about it, there's at least two very obvious use cases that come to mind where this would be crucially important. So one, of course, uh, as indicated in uh, in the article itself on Autoblog, is, of course, say, a car stopped around a blind corner. Hazard lights are on. Obviously, you wouldn't see it until you were already on top of that car as you came flying around that turn. The other use case, of course, would be, say, inclement weather, where um, for those of you who live in areas which get tremendously foggy uh, mornings and evenings, or perhaps, say, even st- uh, sandstorms in parts of the world, I, for one, have definitely experienced the so-called Thule fog in California, uh, which is actually dangerous, you know, scary to the point of being dangerous. I mean, it's really awful stuff. You can't see more than one or two, uh, you know, meters ahead of the car, really, at times. So the idea is, of course, that if there's an accident up ahead or for whatever reason there's cars that need to slow down or stop, well, if they've got their hazard lights on, this fog, if you've ever been in it, you know that you just will not see it until you're actually on top of that car. So this, of course, is the way many tragically uh, multi-multi-car ac- piled, you know, multi-car pile-up accidents have occurred over the years. And uh, so this is then a really, really potentially life-saving thing to be rolling out Obviously, until it rolls out to all cars, all car makers, well, it just means that if you want to have this sort of level of safety, you're going to have to be in a Mercedes E-Class or certainly a Volvo. Uh, And even then, it means that, well, only Mercedes or Volvo drivers are safe from other Mercedes and Volvo drivers. Well, hey, you got to start somewhere, right? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right. Finally today, uh, a quick discussion regarding a self-driving car project over at MIT. Um, The issue is as follows. It turns out that most autonomous cars, if not all, as a reminder, well, they don't only rely on their onboard sensors. In fact, they've got a really detailed set of onboard maps of the world around them as well. So tons and tons of map data. And this isn't just sort of, well, here are the roads and so on and so forth. But this is like some really, really detailed GIS level data. So things like, you know, the directions of streets, the number of lanes, intersection information, and so on, including and especially 3D data. You know, it turns out it's really important to know uh, the 3D terrain of the world through which the car is driving, because this is this is a really great way to kind of augment the sensor data, not least of which because, well, you've got to understand hills and how these operate and how they affect the car, but also because of the simple fact that, well, roads tend to be relatively flat compared to the world around them. Well, I suppose, unless, of course, you're in Kansas, which apparently is said to be flatter than a pancake, this a true study actually conducted, just Google it, I'm serious. Um, but... Yeah, so anyway, so there's a company now at MIT, it's called MapLite. They've got some help from Toyota. They're developing this new framework to essentially enable autonomous cars to drive around without any sort of need for 3D maps. Um, This is a really big deal for, well, everywhere not urban cores, everywhere not cities, right? So it turns out that if you're sort of in the middle of nowhere in the countryside, well, you may not have such sort of of detailed 3D maps, you know, again, these tend to identify things like curbs, street signs, lane markings, maybe street lights as well. 
So, so the concept here, the idea is that MapLite um, will offer this framework that enables cars to operate just fine without any such mapping data. The way that it works is something like this. It's going to get the general location using GPS, which will at least let the car know where it is generally in the world. Um, and then, of course, the LiDAR will take over and do its best to really kind of map the world around the car. This, of course, is exactly what happens today anyway. The difference, though, is that this LiDAR here is going to be doing a really, really sort of rigorous job on the road itself to understand where are the actual edges of the road. And again, it's going to be using this assumption that, well, the road is, except for Kansas, much flatter than the world around it. This, of course, if you're wondering, is why this system, at least as yet, does not handle uh, any sort of hills or really abrupt elevation changes. So what we can conclude then is that if you're in, you know, if you're in most parts of the country, this should be just fine. However, if you're in Kansas or in San Francisco, probably not the best system to use. All right, so that'll do it. As I mentioned at the start of this episode, please, I need your help to make sure we get featured on Apple's iTunes podcast's new and featured category. The easiest way to ensure this happens is if you like this show, please be sure to leave a five-star rating on iTunes podcasts. Of course, continue to share it with your friends and colleagues. This will really help me get this podcast featured. Remember, again, this does seem to be the only truly regularly updated podcast in the world on autonomous cars. So really, if you're enjoying it, please do be sure to upvote it. Meanwhile, as always, if you'd like to reach out to me directly, personally, you can find me on Twitter at Mark Hoag. That's M-A-R-C-H-O-A-G. Find me on LinkedIn if you'd like, or if you want, you can uh, leave me a voicemail on anchor.fm. That's the platform I use to record these podcasts. If you leave a voicemail and if you leave any sort of feedback or thoughts, um, chances are, if it's a good one, I'll be sure to include it in a future episode. So that'll do it. Thank you again so much for listening. Have a wonderful evening. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.